Welcome to Passion Life Church. Come on. Good morning, church. How we doing? Boy, you can, you can intro me any day, brother. Come on, somebody. I was getting, I was starting to amen you when you were talking about how good looking the preacher was coming up. Then I realized that's me. So it might have seemed a little, little bit prideful. So, you know, pray for me. We'll work on it. Uh, hey, well, I got this stage. You know I'm going to use it. Come on, somebody. It's out here. You know, I feel like Bono in his, you know, kind of his circle stage. Let's go. Um, I'm excited to be here. Uh, glad to be back. It's been, been a little little bit. I, I thought maybe I offended your pastor, but I, I guess I got back, so that's good. Now, um, I'm hanging here this morning with uh, my family, my beautiful wife, Katie, right here. And we've been married 15 years. Can you believe it? And my youngest, my eldest is back hanging out having donuts and cookies with the kids. And uh, Kenzie's here. She's getting some preaching tips. She may be preaching next week. I'm not sure. We'll see what happens. That's Kenzie. And then uh, my parents are in town from Minnesota, uh, George and Jackie right here. So if there's anything you don't like about my message, you can talk to them later. And I'm a byproduct of them, so, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's their deal. But uh, I'm excited. It, it has been fun, man. It's, it's been a while, and, and like you said, Pastor, it is fun when over time you build together, build the church together, getting a chance to just see what God is doing, and it has been fun. What an incredible worship team that has just come together. What a great spirit of worship. And um, uh, Pamela, too, we, we uh, matching uh, kind of shirt colors here today. I like it, holding it down. I'll tell you, it's all in the family. She's uh, used to be part of our South Campus down at C3 Church. And then Rex Crane, who's just with you guys, is at one of our campuses uh, this morning. And I'm up here, so now we just got one big California family here just hanging out, doing life together and building church. And you know what? This region needs a great church like you guys and needs, needs what you guys are bringing. And you're not just, we're not just a gathering. We're not just a glee club. We're God's church called to make a difference in this city. And God's got his hand on your life. And uh, Pastor Phil, one of the things I was seeing, it was, it was interesting as we were kind of hanging out in downtown San Diego, there was this uh, old town part, and there was this area where they were making these kind of old-fashioned candles. I've never really seen that done in, in real life before, and the candle, he would start off with this base, and he would dip the candle down into these different layers, and each layer then would kind of add a new dimension to the candle. And sometimes it'd be a clear coat, sometimes it'd be a different colored coat, and all these kind of different things. And it would slowly kind of layer by layer kind of build up into it. And then you didn't really notice, you didn't get to see it until kind of he started cutting in and started carving it. And he was talking about how uh, each dimension, each layer allows the light to come through in a different way. When you cut, ultimately when you light this candle, the, the brilliance as you begin to show. And it was really fun, we all got to watch it. But it, it was interesting, I really felt God brought that that visual to memory in, in, a, in a prophetic sense for you and for your church, each layer that God has been building, each coat that God has been adding to you guys. And then God is right now in the, in the process of kind of carving out this beautiful work. Um, and as his light is in your church and as his light is shining through the different facets, the different angles, the different uh, parts of what God is doing. And I just believe that uh, I just want to declare that over you guys and over your church that God is using you right now to 
be a light in this city, uh, to, to shine in a way that's unique to how God has created you guys uh, to be. Amen? Amen. If you receive that, yeah, give God a hand clap of praise. Now, I'm going to get into the Word. Today, I'm going to talk around a, a topic called quicksand. This is my, the title of my message. It's called quicksand. And let me begin by reading a couple verses out of the book of Nehemiah, and then we'll kind of explain why I've called it that. If you remember the story of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is somebody who feels called to go and rebuild the temple. Um, the temple's in ruins. It's, it's really a painful experience uh, for anyone who's, who's a Jew and anyone who has been following God. See, uh, the, the, the temple in ruins, it's destroyed, it's open to the onslaught of the enemy. And Nehemiah hears about it and he's like, man, i got to go rebuild this thing. He feels a burden from God to go and rebuild this, uh, the temple and rebuild the walls. And as he goes back to begin to rebuild, not everybody's a fan of what he's doing. And it says here in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1, it says, when Sam Ballot, heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and then he begins, in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he begins to kind of bring this onslaught of kind of sarcasm and questioning. He says, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Um, Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring these stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? And one of the things that, that I want to encourage us today and why I've titled this quicksand is that what the enemy does, and you see it in this situation, is the enemy uses questions to attempt to make quicksand of our faith. The enemy will use questions all throughout the Word of God. We see this, and I, I bet as we talk this out, you can see in your own life, this is true. The enemy comes at us with questions. In this situation, he's, he's, he's bringing questions to try to get them to begin to question what God was doing, what God had said. And let me talk about why, why this is happening. So quicksand, what, unfortunately, quicksand is not like, like in the movies, you know what I mean, where people are slowly disappearing as their finger, fingers disappear into the quicksand. I, actually, as I was Googling, uh, you know, quicksand and, and how it happens, I was, I was un, unfortunately found out that that's not true. Basically, you may sink to the max up to about your waist in quicksand. You don't actually fully disappear into it. But why quicksand happens is that when the water to kind of uh, mineral, you know, combination, the, the sand or the gravel or whatever it is, when the water oversaturates the consistency of the, of the sand and it reaches too much water to sand ratio, it, it ends up liquefying it, and it, but you can't tell at first. You can't tell that it's a quicksand. That's why people fall into it. So initially, it looks the same, but if it's oversaturated, then all of a sudden, as soon as you put pressure on it, as soon as you hit it, as soon as you touch the quicksand with your foot, you begin to sink. So it liquefies in that moment as soon as that pressure hits it because of the oversaturation of the water-to-sand ratio, it begins to liquefy. And that's what happens. A lot of times our life seems to be fine, but if we're oversaturated, if the enemy's got us questioning, if the enemy's oversaturated our life with questions, then all of a sudden when things happen, when life hits, when storms come, when difficulty comes at us, all of a sudden we find ourselves liquefied in our faith, sinking and wondering, man, this once stable ground I felt like I was on, all of a sudden now seems like I'm sinking. 
All of a sudden now, and then of course, you know, with quicksand, when you struggle, you actually just go further down, right? So you find yourself, this liquefaction happens, and that's what the enemy tries to get into you and me, is to start getting us to question God. See, a question in and of itself isn't really that big of a deal, right? It's a bit harmless, but what happens is the enemy keeps coming at you with questions, over and over and over again, because what he's trying to do is not just ask us a question. He's actually trying to get you and me to start questioning God. So it's not just a question, a harmless question sake. He's actually trying to get you and me to begin to question God, begin to question God's word in our life. And if we question what God has said, that's when the liquefaction begins to happen. That's when it seems like the solid ground all of a sudden now turns to quicksand when I begin to question. See, and the enemy's good with questions. The enemy's not just asking dumb questions. You know how like, sometimes I can fall into this trap. You know, you, you ever have those people who walk in the room and you're making food and they say, hey, you making breakfast? You know what I mean? Like, you know, dumb questions, you know. <laughs> you know, you're getting dressed and someone says, hey, you getting ready? Yeah, dumb, dumb questions, you know. Uh, sometimes I'll do that, you know what I mean? Uh, where I'll just ask questions. But I, it's not because I don't know what's going on. I'm more just like trying to have a conversation. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know you're making food. I know what's happening. I'm just, you know, br- bringing up uh, a question for conversation. But, but the, the devil's not just trying to have a random conversation with you. He's not making small talk. He's intentionally questioning uh, in a way that gets you and me to begin to question God. Think about this. If you remember the, the classic example of Adam and Eve, which showcases that this whole thing of questioning has been happening since day one with the enemy. This has been one of his strategies, right? So Adam and Eve are in the garden. God has given them absolute paradise, right? They got nothing they're wanting for. They got nothing that they're struggling for. There's, there's nothing that, that they don't have or don't need. And here they have complete paradise that they're, they're living in and that they're walking in. And God literally gives them like one rule. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't real complicated. We like to complicate things. God, God just says, hey, don't eat the fruit from that one tree. That apparently was the rule of planet Earth at the time. But of course, what did they do? They go hanging by that one tree. I always thought to myself, why were they even close enough to hear the devil talking to them at that tree? I think we act as if the garden was as big as the stage and you got the tree in the middle and so they're constantly just trying to like not look at the fruit, not look at the fruit, don't look at the tree, don't do it, you know. No, they had paradise, you know, and it, it was this massive expanse, yet the one tree they couldn't touch they happened to be by, which I think is a classic kid move. Now, as a parent, I understand that, you know, the one thing you tell your kid not to touch, not to have, they're like, and I want that, you know. So anyways, Adam and Eve are by the tree, and the devil begins to talk to them and says, hey, come and have some of the fruit. It's really good. And, and Adam and Ad, or Eve specifically is, is the lead narrator in this situation. She says, no, actually, we can't do that. God says that it's a sin, and we'll die if we eat it. And what, is, what does the devil do? He begins with a question, and he says, did God really say? Did God really say? Right from the get-go, he begins to question what the Word of God. He begins to try to get Adam and Eve to begin to question what God has said. And oftentimes, that's the way the enemy works, is he tries to get you and me to begin to question the Word of God, begin to doubt what God has said. And so he's just going, no, 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 no. you're not going to die. 
And, and here's the thing. Not only does God just want you to question whether God is true or false, but actually you can see the deeper thing because the enemy is not a big fan of God. You know what I mean? He's got some real issues here, right? So he doesn't only just want you to question if God is true or false. He actually says, no, 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 God knows that if you eat it, you're going to be like him. In essence, God's holding out on you. That God is holding goodness from you. That God is holding uh, some other level of favor from you, you know. So the devil is always trying to get you and me to question not only what God has said, but also the nature of God. Is God really good? And isn't that one of the still the most common questions that the world asks today? If God is good, then why? Right? So the, the lie of the enemy has not changed much. The question of the enemy really hasn't changed much in the history of humanity. He's constantly attempting to get at us, to get us to question. Because if we can question it, then we start finding our faith liquefied. If we start doubting what God has said. And how many know sometimes in the beginning it's a little bit easier to have faith, but then stuff happens, things come at us. All of a sudden we find ourselves questioning God. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. So let me talk about kind of some of the different ways and places that questions come. Because I don't know if you're like me, but I found myself ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep in questions, in quicksand, in those places where, man, you just, you find yourself wondering, is, is God here? Is God for me? Is, is God still with me? We find ourselves in that place. But let's talk about how we get there. Where do those questions come? So first, the questions obviously come, first of all, from the devil himself, from the enemy. He's known as the father of lies. He is the one who's constantly trying to onslaught our life, to kill, steal, and destroy our life. And, but one of the reasons or the ways that the enemy uses questions, and I think we have to be mindful of this, is questions have a kind of disarming effect to them. The, the enemy isn't always coming at you hard with pitchforks and red horns and some type of, you know, fire-breathing smoke. He doesn't usually show up in our life like that. Otherwise, we'd quickly go like, okay, that's the devil. I'm not going to listen. You know what I mean? Like, that would be easy. You're like, I've seen this in the cartoons. Don't listen to this guy. This is bad. Uh, but he doesn't show up like that. He shows up like an angel of light, the Bible says. He masquerades like it. So a lot of times his questions attempt to disarm you, attempt to get you on the back foot, attempt to get you letting your weapons down, attempting to get you and me to kind of back up and come down from what God has. Th think about this in um, Nehemiah again as they're continuing to build. Uh, this, is, this is something that's happening to Nehemiah in, in chapter 6, verse 1. It says, When the word came to Samballot, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Samballot and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. So just like, hey, let's grab a coffee. You know what I'm saying? Like, once you come, let's chat. I want to catch up, have a few questions. You know, let's, let's meet up. Let's talk through this, this whole thing. But, but Nehemiah, thankfully, was smart enough to know that this was not going to be a, a passive conversation. He said, but they were scheming to harm me. So I sent them the message and sent this message to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project. I cannot go down. Why should the work stop 
Well, I leave and go down to you. Four times they sent me the same message. Each time I gave them the same answer. See, a lot of times what the enemy tries to get you and me to do is just to get off of the work that God has called us to do. Right? And those questions, they, they seem harmless. It seems like, well, you know, let me just consider. Let me just ponder. And I start questioning God. And what he's trying to get you and me to do is put your weapon down, come off of the wall, get into a defenseless place, come away from the community, come away from the work that God has for you. When the enemy can get you in that space, man, his scheme is to harm you. He, he, he don't want to have a, a chat and a latte. That's not his thing. He's trying to get you away from, this, from the security of the community. He's trying to get you away from the work that God has for you. If he can get you off the wall, if he can get you away from the, the call that God has for you, you're talking about having purpose. Man, purpose is one of the most powerful tools that God gives us as humanity to stay focused, to stay dialed in, to stay on mission for God. When, when we start questioning, when we start getting off of the purpose God has called us to do, man, we get ourselves in trouble. We start letting weapons down, and then the enemy can take us out. Enemy can mess with us, right? So watch out for the questions that come from the enemy. Here's another way that questions come. Questions come from the haters. <laughs> you know the haters. They try to get at us, try to mess with us. People who are out to get you. People who got drama with you. People who want to mess with you. And you know what I found, haters? The questions from the haters tend to be questions that want to question your motives. You know what I mean? Trying to get at you. Trying to pick away at what you're really about. Remember David when he goes to the battle, battlefield? And as soon as David rocks up, his older brother goes, oh, I know the wickedness in your heart, David. Like, wow, chill out, you know. Dude's here to bring you lunch, and you're already, you know, calling him wicked. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, takes one to know one in that situation. You know what I'm saying? But he's, he, he, he's a hater. Because he knows, man, oh, man, shoot, Dave's about to come and take this giant out. I'm going to look like a fool. I'm the oldest brother. I'm the, I'm the one who should be fighting that giant. And now, you know, I've got my brother snooping in, in the business, you know, kind of getting in, in this scenario. And he is, he is in this situation where people around him are, are constantly questioning the motives. Now, you know what? God does test our heart to make sure that our motives are pure, right? We do want to have the right heart. We do want to have right motives. But if everyone in your world, if haters are constantly trying to get you to second guess and constantly questioning uh, the heart and why you're doing things, it can end up stopping us and paralyzing us and getting us to step back. Well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to step out and start that business because it looks like I just think I got it all together. Or, you know, I'm not going to, you know, do this or that because, you know, what if it looks like I think I'm that or I think I'm this or, you know, I, you know even maybe God's blessed your life and your business and man, I don't know if I should buy that, that nice car I've been wanting because now people are going to judge me. You know, it's like haters are haters. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't, don't let them mess with you. Don't, don't let people get in your face. If, if you're walking pure before God and you're walking with integrity before God and you've got good counsel around you to keep you on track and on the right pace, then don't let people chirping in your ear trying to get you to, you know, have, you know, second guess your heart, always get you to stop. I, I just got tired of that. I felt like in my life I, I was constantly feeling like uh, the enemy was trying to get me to second guess my motives and it, it paralyzes us. 
If God's giving you a dream, if God's giving you a vision for something, if God's giving you a passion for something, I'm telling you what, step into it. Don't hold back. Remind me um, of the worship leader that was up here. Was what? Bobby? Are you the man, dude up here rocking it? Bobby. This is Bobby's mic. Bobby. Are you here? It was a... Man, I just felt, I just want to encourage you with this. I just felt like God just showed me this kind of fruit and in, in the, the sense that God's seen your heart, God sees the fruit of your life, right? And I just saw this prophetic picture. First of all, it was like a cluster of bananas, so I don't know if you like bananas at all. Maybe that's, maybe that's a personal word to you, but, um, but I just saw that God was, God ultimately looks for fruit in our life, you know what I mean? And I just feel like God was just wanting to remind you, he sees and God is, is uh, the work he's been doing in your life is to produce great fruit. And you're already doing amazing things. But I'm excited about all that God has in front of you. Amen. And also have a banana today or something. I don't, I don't know what that part is. I don't know what that, I don't know what that part is. Okay, here, here's another way that sometimes questions can come. Well-meaning friends. You know, friends. The good people, they mean well, but sometimes those questions from a friend, you know, are you sure you want to do that? You know, man, is that really safe? Is that smart? You know, and you know, you got to have counsel. I'm into counsel. But sometimes that well-meaning friend is the one who's, who's going to get you off course. They're going to pull you off of the work unintentionally because they, they care about your safety, your concern, your comfort, your whatever. But most of the times, the things God has called you and me to do are not within the comfort zone of life. So if the constant question is always like, is it safe, you need to stop listening to those questions. Because that's rarely the kind of question you need to consider, is it safe? The question is, is it God? Is it God's will? Is it a stretch? Usually if it's God, there's a stretch involved. Usually it's almost the opposite of safe. <laughs> you know, a, there's a God factor there, right? And um, even Jesus dealt with that. Remember Jesus talking about, okay, guys, I'm going to get killed. I'm going to get crucified, but I'm going to raise up in three days. Well, nobody heard the three-day part. They just heard the I'm getting killed part. And Peter steps in and goes, no, Lord, that will never happen. That is, that is not God. You, you must be under stress right now. <laughs> like, he, he rebukes Jesus, right? And then Jesus, you know, does the most intense line you would ever say to a friend, get behind me, Satan. You know what I mean? Like, that is the response of Jesus to this well-meaning question, this well-meaning engagement from Peter. Man, you don't have in mind the things of God. You, you, you're, you're trying to get me off course. And I think partly why it was such a strong response, too, is because he was fully human and fully God. He don't need people giving him more reasons to run from the cross. He had plenty of his own natural response to the cross to go, this is going to hurt, not only the physical pain, but the spiritual weight of the sin of humanity. Like, he don't need people going like, hey, this ain't, this ain't right. You, you know, you shouldn't go to the cross, right? Uh, here, here's an, probably one of the biggest ones for all of us is self-talk. Now, we ask ourselves plenty of questions, don't we? I think sometimes the enemy might be like, okay, I'm going to go and ask Sam some questions. I'm going to try to mess with him. He gets close to me, realize I'm already messing with myself on my own, uh, you know, asking myself my own questions. I don't even need the enemy's intervention to get me, get quick sanding my faith. You know, I've got that taken care of. 
But you know, that, that really does happen, doesn't it? Now, we start that self-doubt, the questioning of is, is God really speaking to me, the questioning of if God really wants to work in my life, that questioning of whether or not I, I can do this, you know, that, that, that self-sabotaging, self-doubt kind of a deal. And if we can keep listening to those questions long enough, man, we'll take ourselves out of the game. We'll start taking ourselves out of what God has for us. If I start listening and those questions over and over and over again, it'll begin to make quicksand in my faith. This is why the Bible says that we have to take every thought captive. Every thought. No sleeper cell thoughts allowed, right? No little, ah, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, it's just one, you know, doubtful thought. It's just one self-sabotaging strain of thinking that I'm allowing into my life. No, no, I can't do that. Um, I remember when Katie and I, we were, uh, we just about three years ago moved down to San Diego from Seattle. And we, we just knew God was in it. He had really kind of led us in this new season of ministry and working with churches at a different capacity. We're just excited. But, you know, we left full-time jobs to come down to no job and a much more expensive part of the planet to live. And um, I was comforted by the sun but, but, uh, and the waves. But um, then I realized, wait a second, you know, things weren't happening as fast as I thought when I first came to San Diego. You know, I wasn't traveling as much as I thought I would out the gate. Um, I didn't, you know, there, there was just some different things that weren't happening as fast as I thought. And all of a sudden I'm faced with, and Katie and I are faced with, having to navigate the self-doubt, the self-sabotaging thoughts. Because we're like, man, I know God spoke to us, but now I start wondering, was that really God? You know, now I start wondering, maybe I missed it. Maybe, you know, could, could that really be? Could I have maybe misunderstood God? Did I rush to something? Did I, you know, you start self-doubt always. You know, anytime that, that God calls you into something, usually it's clear in the beginning, and then you find yourself going, like, later on going, man, I don't know, because God tests you for a season, oftentimes to make sure that we have in our heart to build our faith, to develop us. I mean, think about Peter. He, clear, he must have felt like he heard God clear enough to jump out of a boat into water. Like, you, you only make that jump if you are clear. You know what I mean? That is Jesus. I hear his voice. I'm going, right? But then somewhere between the boat jump and Jesus, he starts getting a little distracted, which I'll, I'll talk about a little bit. But, but I think the reality is for you and me is that a lot of times there's clarity in the beginning of it. But then God allows a season of testing and, and walking through trials and walking through different things to really allow us to kind of lean in at a greater level to go, okay, am I going to trust God or not, right? Am I going to question God or am I going to keep my eyes right? Am I going to keep my heart right? Am I going to keep my focus right? Am I going to keep trusting God even when the difficulty comes? And, and I'm telling you what, what if we allow the questions to come, if I, if I allow myself to spend too much time in those self-sabotaging thoughts, man, I'm going to start finding myself in quicksand. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to start finding myself in doubt, in fear, in unbelief, and, and God can't work in that, right? 
It's faith that, that God moves in. It's by faith that God does things. And this morning, I want to stir up our faith again. I want to bring a fresh infusion of faith. God is able. God is willing. But we have to be careful not to talk ourselves out of what God has called us to. We've got to be careful not to begin to just indulge in the negative thinking and the wrong thoughts and the wrong paradigms and, and begin to self-sabotage what God is trying to do. Amen? So here's the last way that questions come to us, is they come to us through the waves or through the difficulty. I was talking about Peter, but in that situation, you think of Peter, he does jump out of the boat, he's coming to Jesus, but then at some point, he starts, the, the wind and the waves start talking to him, start asking him questions like, what are you doing out here? Why would you do this? You are a human. You don't, you don't do this kind of stuff. And I think it's interesting, first of all, that Jesus doesn't calm the wave before he calls Peter out. I think that's an interesting note. He could have made it like glass. He could have maybe opened up the skies a little bit, had a couple birds chirping. You know what I'm saying? Like create a little bit of a better feeling, you know, coming out. But obviously there was still enough wind and still enough wave. I don't know how intense, but there was still enough of a storm for that to begin to talk to him. And Jesus doesn't change. And Jesus is walking on top of the storm. And Peter is initially too. But then he starts to listen to the questions of the circumstances. He starts to allow the questions and the onslaught of, of what the enemy is trying to do in that moment. The, the storm of life begins to talk to Peter. Begins to get in Peter's ear. Begins to mess with Peter's situation. And and. When he begins to listen to the questions of the waves, that's when the Bible says he begins to sink, right? Well, at first he was good. His eyes were on Jesus. He was full of faith. But the questions got, of the storm got him questioning God, got him questioning himself, got him questioning God's ability. And all of a sudden, that, that once solid lake <laughs> begins to liquefy under his feet, and he begins to sink. Now, I'm thankful that Jesus picked him up, right? I'm thankful that Jesus didn't just go, well, we got 11 more next. Come out of the boat. You know what I mean? Like, I'm glad, I'm glad that wasn't Jesus' response. He grabs, he grabs Peter, and then obviously in that moment, the ground becomes uh, solidified again. In that moment, they walk back to the boat together. And, 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 and that once quicksand of ground solidifies once again, but you know, in our life, I'm telling you what, in a room like this, there's so many of us that maybe have storms going on, different things that we're facing, different challenges that we're coming up against. And I just want to encourage you to not, not allow the questions of the storm you're in right now get you to question God's goodness, get you to question the Word of God, get you to question God's purpose and potential in your life. I'm telling you what, if God has spoken to you, He's faithful, and He's going to do it. Amen? So let me, come on, give God a hand clap. That's good. So the, the, the enemy is going to constantly try to bring different ways that he questions God questions, brings questions in our life to get us to question our faith and get that kind of liquefaction process going on. But here's, here's how we turn that around. Here's how we walk back on solid ground again. If, if you find yourself feeling like you're sinking in quicksand a little bit, if you found your faith a little bit less stable than, than you thought it was, if, if you find yourself in that state, um, here's how we solidify the ground again. 
Here's what we do. We simply need to move from questioning God's Word to considering God's Word again. It's a simple, it's subtle, but it's massive. i got to go from questioning what God has said to actually arresting my attention again and saying, come on, I need you to consider again what God has said. I need you to remember again the goodness of God. I need you to consider again what God has done. This, let's go back to the Nehemiah story because he plays this out in chapter 4, verse 13. Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall, all at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the peoples, this is kind of where Nehemiah goes braveheart a little bit. He goes, I said to the people, uh, remember the Lord. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Right? He, he says, listen, I know the enemy is talking at us. I know the enemy is bringing its best, but I need you to remember the Lord. I need you to remember how great. And how awesome he is. I love, Pastor Phil, as you took a second to, to call our attention to the moment that we serve an unrivaled God, right? And that's why I think some of these songs connect with us so much. Because when, when the enemy's throwing questions at us, we have to remind our heart once again that we serve the God of all gods. The King above all kings. The Lord above all lords. The Savior of humanity. That's the God that you and me serve. Amen? That's who we serve. We don't don't follow a weak God. We don't follow a hindered God. We follow the the one and only, the living God. And when we feel quicksand coming underneath our feet, you know what we got to do? Remember the Lord. we got to turn our attention back to him again. We've got to remind ourselves again of the goodness of God. I I love the, the book of Hebrews, and I'll invite the worship team to come join me as we close it up here. I love the book of Hebrews. The whole thing is, is exceptional, but the, Hebrews 11, many of you have maybe heard of it. We call it the Hall of Faith a lot of times in, in, in Christianity because it's, it's kind of story after story of some of the great men and women of faith, uh, the things that God called them to do, the things that God called them to step out into. And every single one of them had to have these moments where they had to decide, am I going to trust God? Or am I going to go into fear and allow kind of the quicksand of life to take over? Or am I going to actually believe what God has said about my life? Every single one of them did unbelievable things, not because it was easy, but because they had faith beyond the circumstances that saw them through it. And here's what they all did. And I, I think this part here with Abraham and Isaac, or Abraham and Sarah really is, illustrates it. If you remember... Abraham and Sarah have been given a promise. You're going to be the, the father and mother of many nations. Right? This is going to be you guys. You, you, you know, everyone's going to be blessed because of you guys, which is awesome, but they had no kids. You know? So that's a bit of a tough, tough order to stack up when you're being called father of many nations, but you have zero kids to your name. And when, when it was easy to work it out in the natural, as in they were young enough to actually have kids, it's a little bit easier to keep believing. But they actually get beyond the human natural ability to produce kids. 
And now they're into a phase of impossibility in a natural sense. And Sarah is in this moment where she knows she's too old. She's beyond childbirthing era of her life. Yet what she does in Hebrews 11, verse 11, her and, and Abraham both, it says this, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. We gotta stop questioning, we gotta start considering. We gotta start considering the faithfulness of God again. You, you know, anytime, and, and, and they came often, especially in that beginning year, when we made the kind of our big move down to San Diego, there were times when doubt would come in, there were times when fear would come in, wondering how God was gonna put it all together, how this was gonna kinda happen how these things we felt in our heart would happen. And when we would feel that, what we would do is I'd pull out a note that I had listed out all of the things that God had done in the natural and in the supernatural to confirm that we were supposed to be moving down to San Diego, stepping out into this new work. And so we would revisit the list again. And I'd read through it. I was saying, I don't know how this is all going to happen exactly, but man, I'm telling you what, God was clear, and God spoke, and God said this, and God lined this up, and God set this situation up. And each of each of those moments when I felt the wind and the waves start talking to me, I, I would reconsider again the Word of God. I would refocus again on what God had said. And I would get in a time of worship and I'd just kind of go to my office and I'd begin to worship and I'd begin to put you know, music on and begin to sing and, and to draw the attention of my heart back to Him again. And when I would do that, now I feel strength rise again. I feel faith rise again. It wasn't like every time I got out of a prayer session, I had a magical fix to all my problems, but I was stronger than when I was before. Before I, w I felt like I was in quicksand, sinking into the water, sinking into, you know, the life situation. But after a little bit of worship, after reconsidering the goodness of God again, I felt like man, I'm back on top of the waves again. I'm back walking in this situation again. I'm back in faith again. And I'm telling you, if we can consider God, faith will rise again. If you can stop allowing the enemy to, to get you to second guess the goodness of God, to get you questioning the Word of God, then you can begin to walk in faith again. You can begin to walk on top of that storm again. Right? God has called you and me to have victory in life. We're not designed to be defeated by the enemy. We're designed to conquer and win in life. Right? We are more than conquerors through Christ. But we are designed to reign and to rule. We have been given and delegated by God authority to rule on earth. And if, we're, if, if we find ourselves being beat up, we just got to remind ourselves, that's not God's ultimate plan for my life. Maybe sometimes we go through some stuff. We hit some storms. We hit some snags in life. But I'm telling you, God has designed you to rise, to walk above the wind and the waves, and to step into what God has for you. But some of y'all got to reconsider the goodness of God again. Some of you guys got to consider the Word of God again. God is faithful, the Bible says. If He said it, He will do it. If He said it, He 
will do it. God is not a liar. God is not a liar. He, he, he declares and He performs His word. If there's something God has spoken to your spirit, don't let the questions of the enemy to get you to begin to doubt what God has said. If there's a dream, if there's a passion that God has given you, keep stepping out into it. I'm telling you, I feel like my life is a sum total of just continuing to consider what God has said so I don't quit and don't give up and I keep marching on towards God has for me. Amen. Yeah. I want to pray with, with anyone who's maybe feeling like they're they're hitting questions, they've got waves, and they're maybe in a, in a moment of fear. I really feel like I'm here to really impart faith here this morning. And, um, but I want to remind us about Jesus. He's our great example. And remember when Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit comes on him and goes into the wilderness. What is the enemy doing? The same thing he's been doing since day one questions. He says, if you are the Son of God, if you are. I mean, that's the first thing he comes out of him, trying to get him to doubt what God, God had just said, you are my son. Then the enemy goes, if you are. And that's, that's a constant tension in the Word of God. God declaring something, the enemy trying to question that thing. Because right? if he can get you to question what God has said, it liquefies our faith. But thankfully, if we can consider the word, it solidifies it again. What did Jesus do every time? It is written. It is written. It is written. So in our life, when we're facing difficulty, we're facing the questions, whether they're from ourselves, whether from a friend, a hater, the enemy, a, a storm that we're facing, we need to keep going back to it is written. We got to keep coming back to the Word of God. We got to keep coming back to the promises of God's Word. They are yes, they are amen in Christ. I'm telling you what, the, the, one of the biggest battles that you and I face is to stay focused on, on Jesus, to stay focused on the Word of God. And as we do that, strength shoots through our veins again. Faith comes through our veins again. Boldness comes through us again to take on what God has for us. And God has unbelievable things in store for this church as a community, in store for you individually, uh, uh, in your own families. But it's going to take you and me being committed to keep considering God again. Considering the goodness. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.